Stooping Starlight presents The Opening of the Veil, our inaugural podcast on the fall equinox of Anno 6. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Welcome to Stooping Starlight on this our first broadcasting. Founded by a group of Thedemic women, we aim to provide a forum for contemporary and historical female voices on art, theology, philosophy and exploration of Thelema, magic and ritual. Do join us on our website, stoopingstarlight.com, where you will also find the images from this episode's interview with Anne-Sophie Jonsson, which is our first segment. I'm in the south of Sweden, in Malmö, more precisely in the quarter of Mölland, a hot spot for young bohemians and artists trying to make a living off their arts. Above a pub, in a lovely apartment, where the walls are filled with paintings and posters of more or less esoteric nature, I meet Anne-Sophie, a long-standing Thelemite of several decades. I've been a member... Uh, in this order since uh, 1991, I think. Yes. Uh, or maybe two, I can't... Hmm. It's a little bit... The 90s is a bit blurry. <laughs> I've been always... Uh, my main focus and interest has been uh, the mass work. Uh, I've been a priestess for a very long time and worked with the Håkan as the priest and a lot of different people and uh, I've, I've, been, I've started Deus as Homo in Gothenburg when it was just a small camp and we were just three, four people mm-hmm. and uh, yes, I've been around for a long time and I've been kind of all the different stages of the work I mean, like really contributing to building camps and but I haven't had any official like I've never been the camp master or something like that but I've always been as I would like to say myself hard working <laughs> actually so and uh, art wise I've always yes a desire need to express myself visually it's always been around in my sort of universe but it's taken quite a long time for me to uh, be able to find a method that I could do with a, with a certain form of focus. Uh, so I've, I've tried a lot. I've tried a lot. I've, I've sort of different time had has had uh, different expressions, of course. Mm. So, so how would you say? Thelema has influenced your work. Can you see a difference before and after, for example, of joining the order? Or mm. <laughs> there's quite. 
actually it's quite uh, hard for me to see uh, uh, because I was so I've been a member for so long and I I've start, I've done a lot of work with art alongside uh, my sort of um, presence in the order so it's hard to before and after I can't it's just it's just now all the time <laughs> so uh, but I in the beginning when we started up uh, the, the big sort of um, energy work with going in as um, with the role of a priestess and and, and priest I, I I made all the props, yes. Mm. I made the crown from silver, and I made mm. all those kinds of stuff. So always when I, okay, I can say I can I can turn it around and say well because in the beginning I went I uh, took a lot of art school classes and I I attended art school for four years and stuff and I always brought magic in to my work there and I had all all these ideas that I wanted to try. I, I remember I did a. An altar with a heart on it, and and I did the, um, you know, I made paintings from the elements and stuff like that, and then I always found myself in a rather interesting situation with my um, classmates because it was totally new for them to um, have that kind of uh, uh, maybe. I can't say it was totally new for them because I knew new because I can't um, you know I can't read minds or something like that. But they I got questioned that implicated that what I was doing was very different from what they were doing. But for me it was just obvious, and I had to do. Of course I want to have a heart on a on a pedestal and an altar when I wanted to do. Um, installation that that was one of my first sort of things that I experimented with because it was my <laughs> it was the world that was closest to like going in the temple and you know mm. it, that's what you do in in Thelma you build these wonderful uh, universes and places that you can visit just for a while and and I wanted to, that's what you do when you make art as well. You want to do those, create those magical places where you can be, hang around or come again and, you know, visit and feel at home. You know? yeah. So for me it was just, oh, this is my place. And I had to explain, oh, this is so strange, I haven't seen this. So, okay, okay, yeah, okay. It's Maybe it looks strange, but it feels it doesn't feel strange. It maybe it look looks strange, strange for you. But when I explain it and you can feel see my feelings behind it, maybe it doesn't appear that strange. Ah. Mm. Uh, so I'm not sure that I answered your question <laughs> because uh, it's uh, hard to um, uh, recollect. Mm. Long time ago. But uh, I can remember bits and pieces about trying to um, explore the magical dimensions or something like that. Yeah. And that that's the next point I kind of wanted to get on to. In regards to um, magic, uh, how, how does your 
How do they interact, your magic work and mm. your painting work? Are mm. they intertwined or are they separate? Or? Mm. They are even more... I think it's intertwined more now because I have a, a more sort of kind of focus on it, maybe. That I want to... Not that I want to achieve something special, but I want to have a maybe a special kind of focus and explore something special or with a method that I think maybe could be interesting or something like that. Mm. So I fi- I can't, you know, it's intertwined. Anne-Sophie's studio is a wonderful mix of paints and pens and pots. We turn our focus to one of the paintings, one of the many in Hypnagogia series. At first, it seems like a strange mix of colours and inks, but then the details start coming out. Little hints here and there of a shape, a form, an idea, a concept. So you've got a series of paintings that we're looking at. Yes. Um, (laughs) Would you like to just talk a bit about the background and, Mm. and what it's what its purpose was. Mm. Okay. I call this series the uh, Hypnagogia because it's uh, my kind of... um, I'm trying to explore the hypnagogic state and try to sort of uh, pin down the images and visions, you can maybe call it, that uh, arises uh, in in a hypnagogic state and these are um, uh, the result of some sex magic work that I've been devoting my time to. <laughs> so what um, what techniques do you use? Mm, okay, I use a, a mixed te- technique where I uh, mix my materials uh, in my, uh, um, acrylics and... Um, ink and I also have these Posca pens like it's graffiti f- color balloon pen mm. pen shape and then I have um, coal mm. I, I usually start with a sort of sketchy quick uh, coal technique where I just make the surface not as white mm. <laughs> because the, the white surface is quite um, difficult to tackle for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a lot of layers. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the thought behind the layers? Mm-hmm. The layering technique is is because uh, I want the layer on layer technique translucence. I want the picture to have uh, different layers like depth and and old pictures on pictures on pictures on pictures because it's for me it's not just one image it's thousands and millions of images and this is one way for me to trying to get them all in in this small confined space <laughs> okay mm. so there's not just the front pages all the pages or it's the pictures. It's a book. Yes, it's a, yeah. 
how do you see your use of colour? Mm. Actually, when I made these, I... Um, I hmm. That's actually, that's a very good question because earlier I, I always start with my favourite colours, if you can call some colours that I have. I think maybe everybody that do art or something have some kind of feeling for some special nuances or colours. But this work was so quite different that I I didn't really actually observe the colours until later and then I saw, okay, brown? <laughs> like, well, what is that? And this very, very pink and almost like the colours sort of surprised me. So, uh, so I, I brought the images because, okay, imagine doing the, the dream machine experience. Can you tell me what colours you see? It's like, for me it was almost impossible. I saw a lot of colours, I experienced a lot of colours, but I can't really set, I had to put my finger on, okay, this is this nuance or this is this nuance. It's all the colours mixed and they make a sound of their own. I couldn't sort of... In this work it's... Um, it's a more uh, subconscious chose, uh, choosing of the colors, I think. More connected to the technique, where the visionary technique or something. When you look at them in hindsight, when mm. you look at them afterwards, and you've sort of given some time to step away from it, do you ever analyze them other than your own reaction, or do you just mm -hmm. have your reaction and then let it go? I. Yes, uh, I've made, I made them, I love them, and then I, I leave them. <laughs> mm. yeah. And they sort of done, and they can speak for themselves. I was surprised when I had the pictures on the ex exhibition because I had some quite new uh, interpretations of the pictures, or interpretations anyway, or what well, uh, the people said that, Loving some pictures, just loving, oh, this is really, I can see what you have seen and I can feel the whatever. And, and uh, I had also had reactions like, oh, this is scary and this is really dark, this comes from a really dark place and blah, blah, blah. And it sort of, okay, yeah, it's your, <laughs> it's your interpretation. It's your interpretation. For me, it was just, okay. Mm, can I leave you or can I <laughs> do I have to harbor your feelings no I don't have to harbor your feelings mm -hmm. or take care of them or something like that but it sort of surprised me <laughs> Funny, really interesting and, it, and your art makes me want to go makes me want to know mm. you know it makes me want to know and I can for me mm. it's like looking into a tunnel mm. it's like looking into that tunnel and just getting images flicked at you in a, it's really hard to explain. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you think that um, as a result, what would you say the result of doing the working was for you? Mm. Yeah, the result was that I sort of pushed myself doing something that I uh, haven't tried before. That's some kind of result, uh, and thinking like 
on a specific method of uh, of the painting. So, I mean, you have to start the project in near uh, time from the sex magic work to have not as many visions disappearing. That's uh, but in near so that's very different earlier or as I used to do I just have this urge and I oh now I want to do this I have seen something that I want to that inspired me or something like that this was very actually very disciplined work <laughs> and that's something that's a result that I because I that's really interesting because the discipline was that I had to do it in a certain time frame otherwise it's lost mm. and I didn't think that I could do art like that before so that's new we head down to a second room a dining room where a huge graffiti table spreads across the floor and in a doorway hangs the image of Babylon lust the Atu okay so this is a the picture we see now is quite different but still the same mm. to um, to your other. You want to talk a little bit about the process of actually painting them? It's a much more intuitive uh, process than, uh, than my regular painting style, maybe. So uh, a technique where I um, try to uh, evoke the same sort of... Uh, imagery or uh, mental awareness as in the hypnagoga state so it's a very intu intuitive process in the painting so it's nothing that I it's more of a trance like feeling where it's happening it's not a lot of conscious thought actually so it was a bit of a challenge to to try to um, uh, place myself in the same mindset, so to speak, like with the hypnagoga imagery, mm. to try to reconnect to yeah. the hypnagoga movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In, in lack of a better word. How long between the the magic and the painting, so to speak? Uh, not a lot. Maybe just a day mm. or within a day but the big picture that we talked about earlier it was uh, I started it uh, just a day after but it took a lot of time to finish it took a lot of time until I felt that it was complete so yeah. uh, I think that's two different uh, aspects of it yeah. anyway when we look at it from the magic perspective mm -hmm. what would you say um, were your influences in, in, in terms of like magic technique? Yeah, it's a lot of uh, Crowley, Thelema stuff and a lot of my own flavoring as well. So, and a lot of tantric techniques. So it's. You find they, they um, complement each other, the art and the technique? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. I'm not, I'm not sure it's. It's like when you asked me before if I go back and sort of analyze my pictures. I actually, I don't. I feel that that this opportunity, this talk that we have now, is an opportunity 
opportunity for me to sort of reflect upon them in a in a different way that I've done before so that's very interesting thank you for that but I feel like um, for me it's um, obvious that this is something different than I've done before because uh, the imagery is is it's, it's quite different mm. so you can see I have some other pictures as well that I have another idea that I haven't worked with in the same sense and I, for me they're totally different maybe not <laughs> for me it's, it's very different I feel that this is a, another dimension mm. well thank you very much it's been very good and uh, thank you for taking part in the Stooping Starlight podcast thank you <laughs> I leave the Bohemian flat with all its paintings, posters, art materials and cats and head home. In all, Anne-Sophie's art is not just a display of Thelema in art. Anne-Sophie's art is an expression of the female experience of that very energy that binds us together. From the Summit of the Earth by Sora Gimel. I sit between the pillars, the Pythia clothed in the blue of knowledge and chested, the first demiurge of creation. I am in service to Apollo the Sun, with a gold crown of Tiferet. I am a native of Corinth as all the priestesses before me, greeting of earth and heaven. As you enter, thou art Boaz, and thou art divine, Jackin. But to love me is better than all things. Leave it all at the door, and come into sacred space. There is no part of me that is not of the God. And now for our final segment, Kara Sora. This is a lovely Sunday evening, and me and Sora Violetta are chatting. Um, can you just tell me where you're from, and um, and we'll start from there. Okay, well, um, hello, my name is Sora Violetta. I'm from Montreal in Quebec in Canada, North America. So I'm still very much newbie into this, but I I like the challenge that it's bringing to me. <laughs> cool. Well, um, uh, my motto is AGMNS, um, and I've been in the OTO since 2001, 2000, um, and I'm the one who instigated this podcast. And and we've talked, you and me, uh, sorry, Violetta, about um, 
how we can how we can bring new women into Dima, people who haven't been in the order uh, that long, uh, and bring you into the conversation and the and giving you a forum as well, because um, this is not just a forum for old. Uh, veterans like me, <laughs> but it's also <laughs> it's also a forum, you know, for everybody who who is a woman and want to express their their experience of the Lima. So we came up with having a chat, didn't we? You yes. said something about uh, reading Magic Without Tears. Yes, I started reading Magic Without Tears, and uh, um, I find it. I, I would have loved to see actually the the other letters too. Because you only get one side of the conversation, so you don't get to see all the questions either. Yeah. Um, so that kind of pushed me into saying yes to, the po- to, to this podcast because it's so much fun to actually have the full dialogue. And I think a lot. I think a lot of the questions that that come up during your first year or your first, you know, Minerva first degree are, are really um, um, are quite universal because all of a sudden you're faced with with all these, you know, um, all these new concepts and um, you're seeing the world from different angles, and um, yeah, especially for women, there's yes. a lot of stuff to go through. And obviously, we can't discuss, you know, um, degree-relevant stuff, but we can we can talk about um, about general issues that that we find, but not just issues, but also talk about magic together, like women. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the dialogue is so um, I didn't say this at the beginning, but I come from a Chilean family, uh, which makes my skin tone a bit darker than the usual that you find here. So I do am a lot into uh, social justice issues relating to racism. Um, so I, I do use that as a comparison point, um, because what I find is that when people of color discuss within themselves, the, the dialogue is so different then when there's a, for lack of a better word, a white person that comes into the conversation, um, it changes the dynamic. And the same goes on with, uh, with just woman issues or just woman dialogue. Yeah. And, but in some way we, and that's, that's coming nicely into the discussion about feminism that we're going to have today. Um, because I'm a feminist. I've been a feminist ever since I was politically aware. And I think, uh, that didn't go away uh, with me joining the OTO at all. Uh, it's no. not something that you just erase out of a book. Instead, for me, looking um, uh, looking at the OTO, I needed to see it from a feminist perspective. So, and you, you describe yourself as a feminist as well. I started being a feminist maybe when I was twelve. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> when you start noticing that there's the teacher is different when it's a boy or a girl, and so you start noticing little stuff, and at some point you you just take a stand. You see you see how it goes, and you have to you have to adapt, and you have to accept that yes, you are still going to be treated differently because you have a vagina. Yeah, I think that's 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 the biggest. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm I'm from Sweden, and and here in Sweden. It's feminism has never been a bad thing, you know. It's never been something. Oh, you say, oh, you're bloody feminist or uh, social justice warrior. I think because our society is so equal uh, from years and years of of work from government side and from the the you know from the public side. But um, I think we're coming into an age now where, 
I mean, we had the whole debacle in in, in another another subculture uh, a year or so ago, um, where women um, get treated as if they, well, they don't get treated as if they're equals. They get told they are equals, mm-hmm. and then, but they get told this by men. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you are equals, and you go, yeah, but are we? Are we actually yes. your equals? Um, I think it's a whole interesting discussion about um, what is expected of women, especially in in the occult uh, world, yes. uh, is a very. Yes. But we can take that at a later date, um, <laughs> so we can both sort of establish that we're feminists. So mm-hmm. um, when we first started talking, you started talking about um, about the Gnostic Mass, Leo yes. fifteen. I, yes. I guess that had to do a bit with your, you know, with um, with the whole misogynist uh, sort of angle that you get from. The, I, I often, I mean, my mother <laughs> was like, "You're in the OTO." Alistair Crowley was he was a bastard. <laughs> I was like, "Yes, actually, he was." But you know, um, <laughs> because yes. it's, as a woman, you're warned, aren't you? Um, what do you mean? No, it's like I I came from the Wiccan background and and okay. and in that it was a little ooh Crowley. Mm. Oh well, yeah, uh, I've been a pagan for about eight years now, um, and like everyone else in Montreal, you start with Wicca, some yeah. stay in Wicca, and it's fine. Um, but then I started exploring my own. Um, I don't have a specific tradition at all. Um, but yes, you do get the, uh, oh, you're starting curly, you're going on the left-hand path. But <laughs> uh, one of my very close friends, when I told him that I, I joined the OTO, the first response was, what are you doing in such a misogynistic order? This is when they w- I was uh, introduced to the Gnostic Mass. Yeah. So uh, a couple of my friends were like, yeah, you should watch it. It's a beautiful ritual and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. So I sit down at some point and watch the the one on Vime, uh, Vimeo, I think, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, the brilliant one, and, yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. And I just remember sitting there and going, is this the only thing that the priestess does? Once again, I come from a pagan background where the priestess and the priests have almost the same dialogue in question of length, in question of responsibilities, and, yeah. and in question of actions, too. Um so I found it so unbalanced just to watch it. The energetic part doesn't translate on a video, um, and it doesn't translate either on the text. But by reading the text and watching it and arguing with my friend, <laughs> <laughs> I, I started seeing more and more the beauty of it and almost the balance of it. But it took me a lot of time to accept the Gnostic mass just as a feminist. Yeah. I mean, my, my initial issue was, <laughs> back then, was, well, why does she get naked? And he doesn't. <laughs> that was like my first, yeah, like, why, why do I have to get my clothes off and you don't? And you kind of think, that's not fair. Um, uh, but then the whole, I mean... That, that's evolved since then, and I think that's also changed in the OTO and the EGC. It's changed the view on whether the priestess gets naked or not. Whether she re-robes or not has, has changed a huge part. Um, and and more and more people, priestesses, are, are open to say, no, I, I re-robe. I, you know, 
I, I decide what's what I'm comfortable with. Are you um, saying we, that in the past it was mandatory? Not mandatory. And I hear, here's one of those big elephants in the room that nobody really wants to talk about. Um, but I think there's been a tendency to think that a woman who re-robes is a prude. That if wow. she that if she re-robes, she's not willing to um, to to give everything, mm. um, and I think that has um, yeah, I, I think that's really set its impression. I think that comes from old days, and and oh, it's so hard to discuss it without sounding really derogatory towards the <laughs> men of the order, whom I love dearly, 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 um, but. Yeah, there, there, there had been a culture of, you know, the Babylon yeah. rather than the Newit. Okay. So um, that was one of my big issues. My other big issue was um, why does the woman have to be, have to be the receptacle and um, why can't she be the, the bringer as such? Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, you know, my, my feminism comes in the there is no actual difference other than I have an innie and you have an outie. And, and that's been a big issue for me. That's been a huge issue. But that that's, that's grown into... And I think um, what's really important is to not continue doing these rituals. I mean, it's not continuing doing um, the mass and not questioning it and not exploring it because Crowley... Crowley was a man of his times, and everybody everybody says this. Oh, of course, he was a Victoria Edwardian. He was a he was this and that. But um, I think he he wanted us to question and look and and continue to um, poke at stuff to see what came out. Have you performed the mass? Uh, well, I've been practicing to be a priestess, uh, but but just. I had to practice. I'm studying it now. And the more I study the text, the more it um, it aligns with my feminism in the sense that, yes, Crowley wrote a lot, but the poetry that transcends in the Gnostic mass, to me, balances out the lack of action uh, and almost presence of women in the Gnostic mass. And one of the arguments that I've had a lot with my brothers was, yes, but she's doing all the work. <laughs> <laughs> After performing it once or twice, I did the no shit Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is a lot of, um, of energetical work, but it's because you, you not dissociate yourself, but at some point when you transcend with that energy, you have to put your own self aside in order to really convey that energy and and bring back the 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 men and and I'm I'm losing my world my, my, right now, but it's just to make make the men reborn. Um, I, th- I think the 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 most uh, the more most contradictory part for me when it comes to to you know who I am as a feminist and 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 when I am priestess, it, it's um. Because people say, oh, you can't be a feminist and be a priestess at the same time. You know, once once you step into mass, you become the priestess and you have to be the submissive. You have to be the receptacle. And I find that really, really interesting because um, I don't think so. I think that 
um, the first thing that the priestess does is come in and say, Earth and heaven, that's me, as above, so below. Yes. You know, just one greeting and I'm it. This is me and I'm bringing it to you guys. And then, and then she single-handedly, well, a little bit of help from the deacon, Thank you very much, Deacon. Um, <laughs> a little bit of help from the Deacon, and she 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 creates this man out of nothing. Yes. You know, she takes this husk, this this empty vessel, and she creates him and she fills him with life. It's almost, uh, you know, the the first um, verses of the Bible. You know that that she she breathes life into him, and yes. and I found that incredibly empowering. So all of a sudden she's not this empty vessel that floats around. She's she's this vessel full of stuff and only she can sort of portion out that to the priest. She can say let there be priest and there is priest, you know. Without her it, it, he wouldn't even exist. He would just be uh, the un unfulfilled potential. Sure. Well, the, the the priestess does put the initial, how can I say this, the initial energetical imprint uh, in the sense of sometimes you'll have a priestess that is very soft and very gentle. And sometimes you'll have a priestess that is um, very firm and very almost warrior-like, depending on how she presents herself, depending on how she moves and, and everything else. And... It is true that within the text and the gestures, the priest doesn't have that much liberty to it. Um, he's the the he becomes the priest within the process, so his role is kind of already set in. Um, but there is a common work that can um, that can come out of it. I mean, if if there's if there's no connection in, in between them, if there's no energetical um, flow, it will it will come out in the Gnostic Mass. Um, and I, I can say from experience that I've I've done Mass where it's been dead, you know, where mm-hmm. there's been no connection whatsoever, um, and I don't think that has to do with the sociosexual thing it's just been on a pure um, magical energetic level it's been dead and mm-hmm. um it's really hard as a priestess to handle that because you are in charge and so you have to put the sap in the cookie with the priest and you have to make sure that there is a sap to put in the cookie and mm-hmm. if you then don't feel any connection with the priest and i'm not saying on a on a social sexual level i'm saying on an energetic level if you mm-hmm. don't feel that all of a sudden your whole um again the validation comes into question because you're like oh why am I not? Why are we not picking this up? Why are we not doing this? Why are we failing to connect? Have I done something? And as a woman, it's really hard to not stop going. Oh, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not. You know, maybe I'm not good <laughs> yes, enough. Yes. <laughs> maybe I. Maybe I didn't wave enough with the sword, or or maybe you know, maybe he doesn't find me attractive because that comes into the, in the end as well because we are so trained and so uh, programmed into being sexual, uh, sexual. Hypersexualized. Hypersexualized, yeah. Um, 
in the end we yeah. go maybe, maybe I'm just not attractive enough to raise that that you know that lance <laughs> and that that yeah. I think um, that's where we could really do with some more empowering talk about what happens you know when the priestess what the priestess actually does and what she actually um, takes charge of in the mass because um, yeah, I, th I think I think a lot of the a lot of women fall into the role of being the pretty lady on the altar. That's also something that uh, I mean, I'm, I'm following a lot of different Facebook group, Salemic uh, uh, Facebook group, obviously, and I find that there's such there's a lot of hypersexualization of priestesses that goes on, and I remember I, I think it was maybe a month ago that I finally saw a picture of Babylon that wasn't hypersexualized and it made me so damn happy <laughs> I mean I'm, everyone has insecurities obviously um, and in regards to women there's a lot of hypersexualization that happens I don't know about Sweden but in western societies there's a lot of hypersexualization like I want to go right to the validation point is this person finding me attractive and blah 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 and I find that if we come into the order because we want to grow, we want to grow as humans, we want to evolve, we want to learn more about oneself, uh, and we want to transcend into this enlightenment. And this is why I think it's important to respect also individual work and acknowledge it. And when I was saying that I find it liberating that I don't have a partner, I'm not practicing on that. Um, with that kind of relationship or with this initial uh, principle when I go into the Gnostic Mass, it brings back the responsibility to myself. We're, we're, we're not going to lie about it. This is a sex magic place. Thelema works a lot with sexual energy. Yeah. So, yes, this, this kind of relationship uh, or... or um, I don't want to call it a relationship because to me, relationship does have a, a, a commitment. It does have responsibilities. It does have boundaries, regardless of its friendship, loving, whatever. Um, but I mean, when, when you initiate with another occultist in the same field, the basic principle of this is sexual energy. The important part when it comes to that is to acknowledge also the social boundaries that are in place. There's nothing wrong with flirting within boundaries, of course. I mean, if you're in a relationship and flirting is out of the question, then that is your choice to agree to that term, but that's another subject. <laughs> um, but I can understand the, the, the trying to always define what a woman is supposed to be, even when they're called sphere. But this yeah. is why it's important to, like, I, I do talk a lot about social issues because Regardless of where we are, it will affect your sphere, even if it's an if uh, even if you believe so strongly that this is an independent sphere that is not touched by society and their stereotypes and their boundaries, it still happens. Yeah, it still affects you. Um, one of the things um, that I've heard a lot from different Thelemites is we want there there's we'd like to have more women in this. Um, and I've also heard someone, um, say we need more people of color, for example. 
And I remember just replying, well, if you want more women, you need to make it safe. Yeah. Here's, here's my take on that. If you want more women in the order, I don't care if it's That's a sex right. magic order or not, um, mm-hmm. and you should not feel uh, objectified at any yeah. point or forced. When uh, when I all uh, when I talk to women about me being in the OTO and obviously they're into magic and all, one of the first questions I come up with uh, is the, but this is sex magic. Like, do you have to put out? Sorry. No. Obviously, no. But there is this genuine fear of the, wait, does it mean that I need to have sex with someone? That Does it mean that I, like, do I have to be breasted when we're in a meeting or something? <laughs> um, and it, it's unfortunate. It is deeply unfortunate that there is that kind of question. I wish that we were, like, 50 years further where that wouldn't be the first question. Yeah. But... but we're not there yet. <laughs> we're not, we are so not there yet. And, so, and, and, we're not, and I think that comes back to the whole thing about talking about the aeon of, of Horus. We, we're like, you know when you you were like a little kid and you realized you had bits? You know, we're, we're kind of at that level right now. You're, you're, we're, we're small children realizing we've got, we've got weapons to do stuff with. We've, we've got actual, you know, real magical weapons to to create things and we're we're still in that level and and so i i wish that the order right now was was the bastion of freedom and safety for women i mean one of the things i wanted to bring up was was crowley's quotes on it because i think he 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 just he went where no edwardian man would go if he was you know if he appreciated his reputation you know that that um, we do not want her as a slave. We want her free and royal. Whether her love fight death in our arms by night, or her loyalty ride by day beside us in the charge of the battle of life, that's not talking about women. You know, asking if they need to put out. No, nope. no, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> not like women doubting if they need to get their tits out. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I mean, the, 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 in in Crowley's Crowley's time, there was there was this huge suffragette movement that he was that he would have seen and he would have probably being the cunning little weasel he was thought let's make a penny out of this um but but also realizing that you know in in his in his hands in in the book of the law lay this freedom charter for everyone not just men women as well and uh, i think that actually because it was a very hot topic at the time it was uh, the 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 right of women to vote and to be independent people to be you know not have to have their agreement from fathers or brothers and and all that that kind of um for him was just another fight in the freedom and i think that's so interesting <laughs> because he he would have if i think if crowley had been alive today he would uh, you know him and anita sarkeesian would be best friends well, first of all, he would be queer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's another, yeah. that's another talk we need to have. Queer, yes. 
<laughs> queer theory and the OTO. That's another. That's oh my god! Yes, definitely. <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> who would be quick? Yep. <laughs> but to come back to, to, to Jesse, it's important to have those talks. It's important to, for women to take that space. And, and because I'm, I'm presuming that there might be some irritation because of this new programming of where the woman wants to get this own space. Um, I'm assuming assuming just because of what I've seen so far in different other sphere where women are like, we, we need that space and there's always a battle that comes with it. Um, but the, the point of taking that space, the point of bringing feminism into this is not to indoctrinate. It's, it's not to, to create believers in this. It's just to talk about, okay, well, this was written in the early 1900s. Let's try to bring it back today. Let's try to not change it, just to find a way to adapt it to our daily lives. Hypersexualization, objectification, the fact that women do acts, uh, do I need to put out? These are realities that are in place that we as women see. And this is why there's this podcast. This is why there's all of, uh, all of this sort of need to, okay, let's try to find our own voice in this. How do we feel? What is important to us? Um, and I like the podcast because it, it obliges the, 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 the other party to just sit down and listen and not necessarily to argue. Yes, of course, there's Facebook. Yes, of course, this is going to generate comments. And I hope Obviously, so. <laughs> I hope so too. Obviously, I I don't have the the uh, I I don't have the whole truth in me. Again, I, I'm a beginner in this. I come from a different background, um, but the dialogue is going to be necessary. But the listening and the accepting is also going to be necessary. Obviously, my story is not the same as everyone else, and. Maybe not everyone has a friend who actually asks, "Do I need to put out?" <laughs> no, but I, I think we don't. We don't need to adapt. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Um, it. I think feminism is encapsulated in that. I think feminism is uh, outspoken in the book of the law. I think Crowley made it very clear. I think you know Crowley realized that he couldn't do it without women. He he was the first one to realize that that. This couldn't be done without women. I, I think, um, for me, the, the the obviously the biggest part of the priestess is um, is the opening of the veil. Um, it, it's the whole the priest uh, priest has his two speeches. The the priestess has his, has her own speech. Um, I find that really interesting as a as a um, because you've you've gone out in the first bit. You've gone out and you ordered this priest into being. And then all of a sudden, I always saw it as a very passive uh, speech. Um, and, and I don't know if I subscribe to that anymore, if it's a passive, you know, passive, I'm here, I'm new, it, I'm here to be, you know, uh, worshipped. Really? Or, yeah, it always felt really passive to me, but I, I don't know if I, if I, if I think that anymore. 
Well, to me, when I um, when I've done the different roles of priestess in different kinds of ritual, mm. it always came out as the I am everything right mm. now, mm. and not just defining my boundaries but expanding them, mm. and actually. Like when it, uh, when I've done the priestess in the Gnostic Mass and when I studied it, this, the way that I see it is this image of Nui over you mm. and becoming this universe around you. Yeah. She, she is everything. And because she is everything, she will make you what you wish to be. Mm. Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah. A re- that's a really, really good... Um you know, a really good image. And and that's kind of what you, um, when you start, um, when you start expanding into it, expanding into the priestess role and expanding into Nuit, um, is that it becomes a lot more like the, the, the hairs of the trees of eternity. You know, you become a lot more uh, flowing in it. And I think... Um, I can definitely see a difference between the way I did my priestess speech ten years ago and the way I do it today, just in the in the attitude of of how I do it. And I think a lot of that's come from realizing that that the priestess is not just a a passive vessel. Definitely. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. And 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 I think that for me, the apart from the Julio moment. I think the, mm-hmm. the the most powerful moment for me, um, up until that, is 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 the priestess proclaiming the law. There is no law beyond do what thou wilt. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's just so. Yeah, I don't. If if the priestess said it, it wouldn't. It would just have been another. Um, Repetition. Yeah, another you know another thing to say. Um, you know, now I'm saying there is no law beyond do what thou wilt, and now I part the veil. But the priestess instead says, there is no law beyond do what thou wilt, and he has to be drawn into this. She, she Again, she takes control and say, you have to come here and do your will now. You know, mm-hmm. I'm laying out the law here. I think that's, it's so interesting to get... Um, how how that shifted for me. It really, really shifted for me. Yeah. By, the, the more I study the Gnostic Mass, the more I can find the subtleties into it and the more it um, aligns with my feminist perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what is your plan when it comes to the Gnostic Mass? Are you, are you doing it, are you planning on wanting to do it regularly or is it just a... Well, we do have, try to practice it once a month here in Montreal and just develop this relationship between myself, the priestess, and the different um, energetical bouncing that happens within that yeah. that ritual. Yeah. Um, and of course, the, this cannot happen only by reading it or mm. studying it, um, but it happens on the field. Yeah. Um, but eventually, I hope I'll be able to practice it in public. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's another thing that actually that that brings me because I I've been doing it for so long that you kind of go numb to. Uh, you you kind of get so used to it um, mm-hmm. that it becomes so blasé, and you just go, "I'm doing maths again." And and I think coming back and looking at it from a feminist perspective has actually made me um, being really 
I don't know. It, it's made me look uh, differently at it. Instead, instead of, and I think a lot of women fall into that. Maybe that's my, might be generalizing again. I know, but I think my experience is that you fall into the oh well, I'll just put myself on the altar. Here I am. Blah blah blah. Say my thing, do the thing, put the sap and the cookie, and then you sit there and then you, you know, wiggle your feet until the dude is done. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's that kind of, you know, you should never do that. And I think that coming back to it again, like not being a wife, not being a girlfriend, I come back to it as myself, and all of a sudden it's it's magical work that I want to do. You know, it's magical mm-hmm. work that I'm actually that's driving me, and I want to experience it and get to the bottom of it. And that, then you kind of go, shit this is actually a really powerful ritual. And for a woman, it's really powerful ritual. Yes. Yes. Really? Um, definitely. I, I wish I would see actually how the men see this, yeah. to be honest. Because, um, I mean, I, I don't think I came across a, a personal um, blog about someone who, who, how did it feel to be a priest or a deacon? Um, what's the emotional bond to it? Yeah. Um, I think I'd like to see that at some point, just to see if there's a point of comparison between yeah. uh, the relationship that we built with the role of priestess in the Gnostic yeah. Mass and uh, what a man uh, does for for the priest. Um, but definitely, it, it is something that is incredibly empowering for a woman yeah. to do that. That's really interesting as well, because I find, I find there's almost like... Um... Uh, um, when you do the priestess part, you have to obviously open up to Nuit, and you kind of you have to fall in love with her. You yes. have to, you have to become really passionate about her, and 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 so it's uh, it's much more sanguine than anything. It's it's much more it's much more watery to speak in fluffy <laughs> pagan terms. It is a lot of water going on, um, and yes. it, there's, there's a lot of I guess. I would like to know if the priests have to do that, if they have to, you know, that sharpness that has to happen with the priest and that penetrating, you know, attitude. Is it something that they, they feel themselves shape into? Do, do men even talk about magic like this? Do they? Do men even talk about Because I, I don't think they do. Because when, when you're sat on the altar and you're open to the vessel of the universe and you just have to give yourself up to the trees of the hair of eternity and oh my gosh I'm feeling so fluent right now fluid absolutely dissolving then Mm -hmm. you can't really say well um, on a Nokian tablet that would be you know that all out the window (laughs) all that rubbish just out the window because you you can't you can't fathom that at that moment or or, all of that has to go out somewhere and I wonder if men have to do that with a priest as well I'd really I'd really like to hear if, if men have to do that as well, or if they just, they, they become completely hermetic and very, mm-hmm. very, you know, like a deacon. The deacon is very dry, I think, and I've, I love doing deacon, but it's a very mercurial sort of, it's very tight. You're very uptight role. Well, he's a, he's the connection between the assembly mm. and the priest and the priestess. Yeah, it's yeah. a very important role yeah. to be able to, it's almost like a translation energetic uh, energetical translation mm. between the divine that the priest and the priestess are portraying and the assembly yeah. that is there that is uh, he's the, the 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 point of relation in there uh, that's uh, actually really interesting because now i just i just thought 
maybe the deacon, the role of the deacon is where we as women uh, can uh, can meet with the, with the sort of male, where well, we can meet with the priest. So instead of it becoming a sort of intermediate, and uh, it's actually a place where women and men can go and meet the different energies. Do you see mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, yes. Like the art card in 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 the tarot, for example. I, I just wanted to come back to um, men and their perspective, yeah. emotional perspective towards the priest. Mm. Um, I think it's also important that to acknowledge that feminism doesn't only touch women. No. Feminism will define also how men interact with themselves. I mean, we've been living in a society where everything that is emotional, everything that is that, that comes towards feeling on all of that fluffy stuff is assigned to women. Mm. We're yeah. basically opening, we're, we're starting to open up the possibility that it's okay for men to talk about emotions. Yeah. And how it's okay for them to talk about how they feel into this role and talk about their own boundaries yeah. and, and stuff like that. So, I think it's important to, yes, women in feminism, it is important. Mm. But feminism will not only address women issues. No. It will also address some stereotypical that men are also subjected to in society yeah. that are not okay. Because, I mean, there is also objectification of men. There is also this stereotypical yeah. gender issues that comes in. Uh, a man should be this, a man should be that. They cannot mm. cry. They need to pay the blah 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 yeah. um, a priest needs to be uh, for example uh, direct and he cannot be fluffy or something mm. of the sort yeah. and all of that is bullshit yeah, and that's, that's, <laughs> yeah that's, it's so interesting because does it, does it become archetypal do we, do we start going towards a sort of a um, again it's the trope, uh, trope idea and I would like to I would really like to experiment I'm going to go talk to my priest now uh, and force him to experiment with me <laughs> with regards to you know with emotional attitudes and, um, and, and and get him to express a bit more I think that's really important as well is to keep open a dialogue and, and not be um, not be afraid to take it with your with those people who you do these rituals with Oh, it's been so good to talk to you. I really, it's been really yeah, me too. yeah. I, I, I just, I've just run out of, you know, run out of patience with waiting for stuff to come. You know what? Actually, no, it's not going to happen unless I do it. So now I'm just going to do it. <laughs> I completely agree with that sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that's why this podcast happened. Mm. I love that. Cool. Okay, so uh, we'll talk soon and. Um... Thank you for this opportunity, and yeah. I look forward to the next one. Yeah, me too. 93s. <laughs> 93s. Bye. Bye. And so comes to end our first podcast. We thank you for joining us here at Stooping Starlight and hope to see you again soon. Love is the law. Love and the world.